Great. Hey, well, guys, welcome. It's lovely to, to have you with us. You know, I always kind of feel like on the mo- mornings when all the tech goes wrong, it's usually because God's got something that he wants to say to us. It's usually because God's got some business that he wants to do with us. So even though we're running a little bit late, really grateful that you are here today. And uh, I wanted to start and I want to ask th- this question this morning. Uh, in the middle of August 2020, what does freedom look like to you, what does freedom look like? Um, maybe it's the freedom uh, to leave the house, or with the weather like it is this week, maybe the freedom to stay inside in the air conditioning. Uh, maybe the freedom to join with your brothers and sisters in Christ in a school auditorium. Maybe in the middle of ha- Pasadena to sing your hearts out in worship and be church family in a physical space. Uh, maybe it's the ability to see your friends and family and travel. That's certainly uh, what it feels like to me. Uh, maybe it's the freedom to work, as Isa uh, just spoke about. Or maybe something really deep. Maybe it's the ability to be free from pain, free from addiction, free from guilt. I guess deep down, we all long for freedom, don't we? And I want to think about freedom with you this morning. And particularly as we go through this Kingdom of Light series, I want to think about how God can take us from the darkness of shame into the light of freedom from the darkness of shame into the light of freedom. And uh, even today, I really believe actually that God wants to do some business in our hearts. So I'd love to pray for us as we launch in this morning. Well, hey God, thank you that you're here. Thank you for getting all the technology working this morning in this place. Thank you that wherever we are, you wanna meet with us and however we're feeling, you wanna meet with us. And so uh, we just love you, Jesus, we trust you. And we wanna ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to encounter your living presence and transforming love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to look at this amazing passage. It's a passage that I've been wrestling with all week. I mean, it has literally been causing me to lose uh, sleep because it's so mighty. It's so huge. When I looked at it, I thought, I've got 20 minutes to try and do some justice by this passage. It kind of brought me out in a cold sweat. But I want to encourage you, uh, even after this morning's service, as you prepare for community groups, maybe as you just do your quiet times during the week, I'd love you to take this passage and wrestle it and invite the Holy Spirit to speak through you. But let's go straight in and uh, let's get our reading from Luke chapter 7 36 to the end good morning vintage today's reading comes from luke chapter 7 36 through 50 when one of the pharisees invited jesus to have dinner with him he went to the pharisee's house and reclined at the table a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that jesus was eating at the pharisee's house so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume As she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So uh, picture the scene. We're at a huge banquet in a big home. Maybe uh, think about like one of those massive houses just down the street from Caltech. Maybe like the one Shia LaBeouf just bought, who's the guy out of Transformers recently. Um, Probably not quite like that. But think about a big house and a big dining room in this house. There would have been a big U-shaped table and a banquet is underway. Now the table would have been low to the ground. They wouldn't have had uh, seats that you could sit on. So you'd have kind of sat on the ground with your feet sort of slightly to one side of you behind you and you'd have been facing sort of diagonally in front of you so that you can join in with the conversation. And at this banquet, uh, Jesus is the esteemed guest. He's been invited by a guy called Simon. Simon is a Pharisee. Uh, He is part of the religious elite. He is one of the people who are like so concerned by purity, by being right. And Jesus is there in the middle of the room. The conversation is flowing in front of them. But behind Jesus is somebody else, a woman, Now, it would have been pretty unusual for a woman to have been there unless she was serving dinner in the first place. But it's not just any woman who's behind Jesus, but it's actually a woman who's literally named sinful. Let's be honest. She was a prostitute, a total outsider, totally unwelcome in that environment. She's not just sitting there, though. She is weeping. Floods of tears are coming from her enough so that she can wash Jesus' feet with the floods of tears that she is weeping. And she's anointing him with expensive perfume. Now, we don't know where the woman originally met Jesus. Probably wasn't at the banquet. She'd have never been allowed in the door if she didn't know Jesus at all. Maybe before that evening had started. But this woman is going to help us to understand freedom in a biblical Christian faith sense in an amazing way. And so I'm going to look at some things with you this morning about how freedom works in the kingdom of life. So first up is this. uh, Freedom starts from repentance. Freedom starts in repentance. I don't know if you've ever battled with one of these emotions. Uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not beautiful enough. With Matt Lowe in the room this morning, both of those are very natural reactions. Uh, I'm not, not likable enough. I'm not smart enough. I'll never change. Nobody could love me. I'm not even sure if God really loves me. We all battle, don't we, with some of those identity issues. And you know, they can be crippling, can't they? They can alienate us from other people because we can't deal with other people and our emotions and we don't feel worthy to be in other people's presence. And they can alienate us, isolate us from God. They damage us. They damage those around us and they damage our relationships. Now, the woman had every reason to feel like that. She'd have probably been told it every single day. You don't belong here. You are unclean. You are worthless. You shouldn't be here. She had every reason to feel shame. Now, shame is a real thing, right? Shame is one of the most crippling emotions that we as humans ever feel. If you don't quite know how to define shame, think about this. Have you ever had an, or do you have a moment in your life, maybe long gone, 
something which was really deeply painful, something which has been resolved on a physical and uh, practical level, but you still feel terrible, where you are still blaming yourself, which is eating away at you, where you question whether you have any real worth. Shame leads to anxiety. Shame leads to depression. It leads to physical illnesses of all sorts. Shame isolates us from each other and from God. And let me just say this, drop the bomb in the middle on a Sunday morning. Shame is never God's desire for your life. Shame is never God's desire for your life. And shame is not the end of the woman's story as we're gonna see. You see, as the woman pours out tears of love as she cries jesus says to the woman your sins are forgiven this is a moment of repentance in effect what jesus is saying to this woman is i know your past i know what you've done i know where you've been i know what choices you have made and none of that separates you and i I do not reject you from the past. My mercy covers you. As Jesus' little story to Simon says, in effect, your debt is paid. It's cancelled. I don't see you as broken. I see you as whole. Love brings this woman to a place of repentance. And repentance means coming before God in our failures, in our brokenness, in our weakness, and leaving them at Jesus' feet. As the woman pours out her tears, she is being transformed. The woman discovers in Jesus forgiveness. Maybe for the first time in her whole life, she is not being rejected. How do you feel about God's love for you? How do you feel? Maybe you had a good day these last few days. Maybe you made some good choices. Maybe you didn't do the things that you know you're not supposed to do. Maybe you're thinking, hey, yeah, God must really, he must really think I'm doing okay. Or maybe in the heat of yesterday, maybe in the brokenness, like maybe you just got a bit angry with your kids or you shouted at your spouse or whatever it was. And maybe, maybe you're thinking, oh man, I screwed it up. But God can't really love me. God can't really think I'm okay. We feel like that all the time, don't we? Because that's kind of the way the world works. We are as good as our last gig, our last job, our last choice, our last relationship. When actually what Jesus shows this lady is mercy. She discovers that Jesus loves her just as she is. She discovers that there's nothing she can do to make God love her more. And there's nothing she can do to make him love her less. Romans 8.1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the lady is not staying in a place of shame and guilt. You know, the point of the encounter is not so that she can just feel better, so, so it can transform her lives. Repentance means to turn. It means to change. It means to be set free so that you can live in a new direction. And that is what she does. You see, God loves us too much to leave us in our pain. And that's why he invites us into this place. But we could say, all right, come on. You know, like if God loves me despite all the rubbish I do, maybe the best thing I can do is just stay exactly as I am. In fact, maybe I can do loads of loads of bad stuff because then God's forgiveness and kindness will like abound in my life even more. 
Well, the Apostle Paul once faced that question and he says in Romans 6.1, what then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We who are those who have died to sin, we are those who have died to sin. How can we sin any longer? You see, repentance takes us to a new start and a new beginning. And repentance is so important in the Christian life. Now, we believe repentance is a one-off thing in the sense of like we come before Jesus, we recognize our brokenness, we receive his grace. That's how eternal life begins. But repentance is also an ongoing act. And to be honest, some of the ancient forms of church are a little bit better at repentance than we are in our more modern forms of church. You see, what repentance does is it repentance brings us back before God each and every day. And not so that like we can receive again something that's run out. It's not that God's love for you runs out every day, but it's actually that we just become before God and realize that every day we need his grace. Every day we need his mercy, that every day we fall at the feet of Jesus and receive all that he wants to do in us and through us each day. Jesus says to the woman, go in peace to love. Go in peace to be a new person. And when we find that place of repentance, we find freedom. When we repent of the mess, when we realize that we've come before Jesus empty-handed, it's the beginning of a story of freedom. So repentance leads to freedom, but that freedom that we find also takes us to a place of worship. Freedom to worship. It says in verse 38, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. What we're witnessing is the most extravagant act of worship. And if you've ever wanted to really grow as a worshiper, you know, people who you see them in worship services, like on their knees in tears or with their arms raised, um, ever seen a real worshiper going for it, ever wanted to be a worshiper? Well, this lady is like the most just anointed worshiper because she realizes two things. And I'm going to try and I'm going to try and show them um, using a medium of technology which in, involved just a huge investment of millions of dollars. I'm going to show you my whiteboard and my drawing. Okay, ready? See if we can make this work. Okay, here it is. You got it on the camera? Okay. So here is my goodness scale from zero to a billion. So here's two things that the woman realizes. The first thing is she realizes and gets a glimpse of the incredible love and goodness of Jesus. See if my post-it note will stay up there. Whereas Simon, who was this Pharisee, he looked at Jesus and thought, oh, this guy, he's just some nice guy and completely failed to treat him well, completely failed to give him the kiss of welcome, completely failed to wash his feet as Jesus had had a journey. The woman sees Jesus and realizes the incredible, beautiful, amazing love. And I wonder, as you think about goodness, I wonder how good Jesus is to you this morning. Is Jesus like a nice moral teacher? Is he a philosophical system? Or is he the most astonishing, beautiful, incredible person in the whole history of the universe? 
The woman gets a glimpse of how good Jesus is and she gives her best. But you see, the second thing is that she also realizes where she is in the goodness equation. You see, as the woman realizes who she is, she realizes that she is here. Now that isn't some sort of like, um, worthlessness or shame that isn't realizing like, you know, British people do this all the time. They go, actually, I'm terrible at everything when actually secretly we're actually quite good at just a few things. It isn't self-deprecation, but the woman realized that when she comes before Jesus, she has nothing in her hands to commend herself. In the woman, there is a beautiful free- freedom when she realized that she is just forgiven and free You know, the Pharisees thought all the time that they just needed to earn their way to God by being good enough. Whereas the woman realizes, man, I've got nothing. What she's doing in effect is mirroring the words of John the Baptist when he says in John 3.30, he must increase and I must decrease. This is what worship is, right? Worship comes when we recognize a glimpse of who Jesus is, his incredible beauty, his incredible amazingness, his incredible kindness in our lives, incredible creation story and all that he's done in redeeming and saving us. And then we realize that we come with nothing. You know, I I used to get to travel a bit and when I was a lot younger, I used to go and do like worship concerts um, with a band in Tondo, which is the poorest slum in Manila in the Philippines. And we would go and do worship concerts with street kids, basically, and have like hundreds and hundreds of street kids gathered in these outdoor areas. And they were the most astonishing worship experiences because those kids took, no, they didn't take, need any training or teaching whatsoever to realize how good Jesus is, how good his love is, how much he provides for them, but also how little that they come in with empty hands. When we approach Jesus, we realize that we do it by his grace alone. John Newton was this uh, very famous slave trader. In fact, he was such a vicious and nasty slave trader that he used to get kicked off slave trading boats because he would start fights with the captain or with other people on the ships. But when he was out at sea one day, he met with Jesus in a profound encounter. And he went on to write the most famous worship song that the world's ever had as far as I know. And it goes like this, amazing grace, How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You know that passage which talks about the eye of the needle and how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, there's so many different theories about where that came from, but the one which I think to me seems like the most plausible was that in Jerusalem there was a really small gate and it was called the eye of the needle. And when traders arrived at Jerusalem to bring in their wares, they had to go through this gate, but you see a camel couldn't fit through the eye of the needle. The only way that the camel and the person could fit through the the eye of the needle was to take off all their finery, was to take off all of their status, was to take off all the goods and the wealth and everything they have, and then just come through the gate, almost on on their knees. And I love that picture because that is what it's like to come before Jesus. It's to recognize that we don't have anything in our hands that's worth giving to Jesus. We just have our empty, loving, submitted, repenting hearts. And that is what God asks of us. So repentance takes us to freedom. Repentance takes us to worship. And then finally, repentance frees us from condemning other people. So, so far what I've talked about is very personal. It's very private. 
But we're thinking this summer about the kingdom of God. We're thinking about how we play our part in God's story for all humanity. And how do we live into the kingdom of light? Well, here's the thing. As we become people who are free, actually, we start to become free to free others. As we become people who are free, we can start to free other peoples. You see, the Pharisees, right, they constantly wanted to climb up the ladder of holiness, of rightness. They wanted to show everybody that they were better than anyone else. And so what they would do is they would stand as high up this ladder as they could possibly get, and they would look at everyone around them, and they'd go, you suck. You suck. You are not as holy as us. You're not as pure as us. You're not as thoroughbred as us. We are the chosen people of God, and all of you are not as good as we are. You see, the enemy wants us to do that all the time. He wants us to condemn everyone around us, when actually, in reality, the Pharisees were pretty much right at the very bottom of the very bottom, as Jesus kept telling them. See, on on Thursday night, um, I've been part of this little group, um, well, actually a very big group of pastors from Pasadena area, thinking about race and reconciliation and how we move forward as churches in these kind of areas. And um, some of the pastors in the little small group that I'm part of on Thursday night were, you know, people I love and just knew really well. But if I'm honest, right, some of the pastors on that call were people who were pastors of churches, which I've looked at in the past and gone, oh man, I wouldn't want to be at your church. I don't think I agree with you on all sorts of theological or stylistic issues. But on Thursday night, we just did a Bible study together, all of us as different pastors. And I realized that these pastors, they share a love of Jesus that I share. I realized that they actually have a better biblical knowledge of many things than I do. I realized that I have so much to learn from them. You see, the enemy constantly wants to get us up the, up the scale or feel like we're up the scale so we can condemn everybody else. And yet Jesus invites us to be free here. And as we're free to love all of those around us who are just as worthy, who are just as right as we are, You know, it's getting pretty angry out in the world. I don't think it's just the heat. Like my air conditioning got turned off yesterday afternoon. I don't know if yours did. Um, It's pretty rough when it's hot. But it's not just heat, right? Politics is getting rough. Black Lives Matter and all that whole conversation is getting rough. Whole concept conversations about COVID and schooling and businesses and churches, it's getting rough. Like people are going for each other everywhere in society. If you turn on social media, it's like a whole storm of craziness and angriness out there. It's so easy to think that we're right and everybody else is wrong, isn't it? And that our job is just to prove that to the world. Jesus' invitation to us is to realize that we are free when we take the lowest position. We are free when we take the humble position. We're free when we come before Jesus with empty hands. And when we do that, suddenly we can pay heed to Jesus's words when he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in everybody else's eyes? And yet you miss the fact that you have a huge great log in your own eyes. My desperate hope for us as a community of people is that we would recognize the incredible grace, the incredible love, the incredible mercy, and the incredible freedom that realizes we are empty-handed in the presence of God. That we would recognize that what God has done for us puts us in a whole new story, which is all based around his goodness, his power, and his love. Because here's the thing, right? This is my closing 
analogy, which I want to show you is this, is that actually the truth is that we aren't quite here in a spiritual sense, because here's the thing, is that actually when we realize that we're free, when we realize that we are bought with the price of the cross of Jesus Christ, when we realize that we're saved, when we realize that we're chosen, when we realize that we're destined for eternity with Jesus, when we realize we're forgiven, when we realize we're loved, do you know what? Actually, we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus himself. That Jesus brings us into his presence by his mercy and his grace. And we realize that this life, life itself, every day is a gift. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of kindness. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. So would you pray with me as we come to respond?